Lucas on Life. Hello everyone, welcome to Lucas on Life and Happy New Year. Here we are in a brand new year. And let's face it, we're all glad, I'm sure, to see the back of 2020. Perhaps like never before for most of us, we've looked forward to 2021 with a sense of hope for better, brighter days. Not only is this a time of hope for the year generally, but it's also the time when many of us express hope for ourselves personally and we make those New Year's resolutions. We're going to be healthier, kinder, work harder, work less, listen more, speak up for ourselves more. In short, we're going to change. So this week on Lucas on Life, we're going to talk about change and New Year's resolutions. I'm going to offer some travel tips as we navigate our way into the unfamiliar territory of 2021. And I'm also going to share a couple of my own personal New Year's resolutions. And by the way, I'd love to hear about your resolutions. Email me at lucasonlife at premier.org.uk. Here's Selah with a great song for the new year. What better request could we bring to God? Be thou my vision. It being the New Year's season, I've been pondering some potential resolutions. I think I'm going to go easy on myself this time around. Rather than aspiring to lofty, impossible goals, I've settled on some more reachable objectives. I'm going to cut back on my bassoon playing. I'm not going to speak Cantonese for the whole year to come. And I will diligently eat plenty of chocolate. As a non-musical chocolate lover who's never owned a bassoon and who only speaks English, I have a moderate chance of success. And then I've decided to change my name to Popeye, as in The Sailor Man. Popeye is a cartoon character, a product of the 1930s. Played by the late Robin Williams in the movie version, he has a gruff voice, a clay pipe, and a passion for a young lady called Olive Oil, who looks like a stick insect with greasy hair pulled back into a missionary bun. I've never understood the attraction. Popeye could do most things, especially when he ate spinach. With his piston-like muscles and that versatile pipe which could even propel him into outer space, he was a sailor saviour, rescuing Olive and occasionally the world from all manner of calamities. But there was one thing that Popeye could just not do. He could not be other than what he was. He couldn't change. He even sang a lament about it, a serenade to sameness. I am what I am, and that's all I am. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. The reason for my new name? Simple. I've realised that I've largely stopped changing. Nearly four decades of pastoral leadership has taught me this unpalatable truth. People rarely change very much, and that includes Christians. I know that statement is the very opposite of the Christian message, which is not just about a few minor behavioural amendments here and there, but the birth of a whole new species of humanity as the newly created person in Christ, fueled by the indwelling spirit, becomes more Jesus-like gradually and ultimately when eternity dawns. But the cold fact is this. Too many of us have turned into old dogs who aren't too keen on learning new tricks, or shepherds that aren't thrilled about losing those spots. That's not to say that we never did change. Conversion brings new values and therefore revised behaviour. In the first flush of enthusiasm spawned by first love, we breathlessly abandon old patterns of life. But some of it, sadly, is only skin deep, 
As new Christians, we hastily trawl through our lives, declaring war on the more obvious, lurid behaviours which we rightly judge as being incompatible with Christian discipleship. But having tamed the bigger beasts, we then settle down, stay as is, and wait for the sound of a trumpet when everything will be changed in a moment, but in the meantime, not much about us changes in a decade. What was fluid turns solid, fresh turns stale. We get weary of the call to endless revising, the preacher's shrill challenge to yet more amendment and deeper commitment wears us out. And then some of us live secretly, bound in chains of addiction, advertising freedom while we languish in the cell block. But even though this is not how we're called to live, the hows and whys of change are difficult to quantify. As a preacher, I so desperately want to offer seven surefire steps to transformation, preferably beginning with the same letter. This much I know. Change begins with renewed thinking. It's not just about scrubbing up on the outside. Scripture views change as something positive. We tend to fuss about what we're not rather than dream about who we're becoming, subtraction rather than addition. But we are being transformed from glory to glory, says Paul, who himself experienced personal revolution. We tend to focus on pruning. The spirit is about producing rich, luscious fruit. And of course, change results from the supernatural inner work of the spirit in us. True change is a sign and a wonder. So as we go into 2021, let's know that change is not only possible, but if we follow Jesus by faith today, it's actually inevitable. Perhaps that truth will allow us to swing a sledgehammer at the hopelessness that can stop us in our tracks and see a crack appear in the solid mold of what we are as we do. We can change. And so I've decided against that name change. Popeye Lucas just sounds so wrong, and wrong it is. Going into a new year is a lot like taking a journey to another country. In both cases, you don't know exactly what's ahead. And maybe there's a few tips that I can offer us all to make the very best of it. First of all, let's be realistic about 2021. When it comes to holidays, the brochures tend to make them look far better than the real thing. After all, that's their job, to sell us the holiday. But we too can be wrongly imagining the land of New Year would be significantly different to the one that's gone before. We all hope so, but in reality, nothing magical happens because that clock struck midnight on December the 31st. There's no Cinderella in reverse to be experienced. And this is one of the hard truths to learn about travel, that wherever we go, we take ourselves with us. So, if we're tetchy, ungrateful, easily irritated and self-centred, that side of us will still be with us as we journey on in the new year. A new country won't fix it, and nor will a new year, which means there's a need to take a realistic account of who we are and what we are like, and then do something about it. And then, when we go on a journey, it's important to check the weight of our baggage. I hate that awful moment at airports when the unsmiling check-in person tells me, with unwelcome glee, that I'm a little overweight. It's a relief when I realise that this is not personal, and it is about my luggage, but what excess baggage might we be taking with us in this new year? Bitterness, hatred, shame, regret, 
jealousy or some other unhelpful emotions, attitudes that will weigh us down as we continue into 2021. Those are weights to leave behind, perhaps by deciding to forgive others or forgive ourselves, by recognising that God loves us now for who we are now. We need to choose the right travel companions as well. There's nothing worse than discovering that someone who's great for an occasional coffee is a nightmare as a full-on travel companion. So who would we best have at our side in this New Year journey? Will they enrich our lives and give us opportunities to enrich theirs? Will they speak the kind of truth that we need to hear and be open for us to do the same for them? Will their outlook spur us on or will their negativity drag us down? Or think of it this way. Who are those that we are called to invest time in, celebrate with and express love and appreciation for? And how can we make sure that they're travelling with us and us with them? We need to check our destination too. There's a classic story of the airline passenger who ended up in Istanbul when they'd bought a ticket to Torquay. You'll only have one opportunity to explore 2021, so let's make sure that we have a ticket for the right destination. That's where having a few simple but clear goals come in. Not overwhelming ones that, in our heart of hearts, we know that we'll flunk in the first few weeks, but a fresh commitment or two on how to make the most of one more precious year in this stage of life might be helpful. Perhaps thinking about new possibilities, or our health and fitness, our serving others. All in all, the challenge is this. Let's not ongoingly drift into this brand new year. Let's be thoughtful, determined, proactive. Here's Danny Goki. It is the season for resolutions, as we've been considering, when many of us have been nudged to commit to being different from what we've been. So here's another of my own resolutions, which might come as a surprise. I hereby commit to welcoming the gift of disillusionment. Yep, you've heard that right. Before I'm accused of morphing into Victor Meldrew or am lynched by an irate but grinning gaggle of everything is awesome positive thinking listeners, let me explain. I used to view disillusionment as something to be avoided. Disillusionment is the enemy of hope, I thought, and an attitude that usually distills into cynicism. But recently, I've decided that disillusionment is actually a priceless gift because disillusionment divests us of an illusion. And that's got to be good. The process itself is usually painful. Often we cling to a mythical view of life because we prefer it to reality. But ultimately, disillusionment takes us by the hand and leads us, albeit reluctantly, to see what really is rather than what we'd like to see. We were all born into an illusionary world, one where we're the centre of the universe. If you're hungry, just yell. Someone will come running with food. When you're a baby in need of the bathroom, there's no need to look for one. Just poo, wherever you are, whenever you like. It works when you're a month old. Don't try it at 25. Maturity dispels illusion and gradually introduces us to the way the world really works. The illusion fades. We are not the centre of the universe. Jesus spent much of his time in a ministry of disillusionment, especially with his disciples. As good Jewish boys, they expected a messianic figure who would head to Jerusalem, kick out those nasty Romans, and earthly throne there, from which he would reign over a new Israel. 
They needed to be soundly disillusioned because Jesus was heading for a throne all right, but his journey would be made via a cross. They were taken to a place of disillusionment about themselves too. Peter was living under the total illusion that he would never be unfaithful to Jesus. Even if all his pals succumbed to pressure, he would stand firm, so he thought. But Jesus shattered that delusion with news that included a rooster crowing three times. Disillusionment oils the wheels of our relationships. I'm no longer shattered when someone close to me fails to listen or switches the conversation back onto themselves when I'm trying to pour out my heart. Disillusionment is vital for a healthy marriage because real life is just so unlike the movies. In those romantic comedies, nobody snores or drools on the pillow, and after a blissful night of love, they greet each other in the morning with a lengthy kiss in a make-believe world where morning breath doesn't exist. But in actual life, over the years, the mythical notions of the honeymoon fade, but are replaced by something far more substantial. It's real love for a real person, rather than infatuation with what we hope a perfect person might look like. And disillusionment is very important if we're going to spend any length of time in a local church. When we join it, we anticipate that all will be to our liking, only to find that the place is littered with fragile, thoughtless, in-the-process human beings just like us. The illusion is shattered. So now we have a choice. Will we move on to the next church, or will we stick around, grit our teeth, and learn something about real commitment? Setting out on a recent holiday, I packed disillusionment and took it along with me together with some lightweight novels and sun cream. It helped me no end because I've tended to believe that everything will be perfect when I set time aside for a break. When our vacation includes wider family or friends, everyone will get along together swimmingly, wonderfully, and we will happily toast the sunset at the end of yet another glorious day. But it's an illusion. I'm not jaundiced just realistic with my expectations. Finally, I'm completely disillusioned with me, and it's been quite a lifesaver. I like to behave like a Christian, but my aspirations are balanced by realism. When other leaders lash up their lives with scandalous moral choices, I no longer wrinkle my nose and insist that I could never walk the sinful path that they have trod. Rather, I embrace my own capacity for sin, and manage vulnerability instead of insisting that I'm impervious to temptation. I don't want to hear that rooster crowing about me. And so I no longer fear disillusionment. Instead, I embrace it, lest I, a broken person, walk around a broken planet surrounded by broken people with my eyes wide shut. Disillusionment. It's probably not appeared on your list of New Year's resolutions, but I think you might have a happier new year if it does. See you next time. Lucas on Life.